Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness, and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and he burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and he healed them. And he delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds and songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men, and they were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of elders. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land even into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low, through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it, and they are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love 
of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. Amen. Father, we come before you now in prayer. We ask that you would bless the reading and the hearing and now the preaching of your word. Lord, by the ministry of your Holy Spirit, work in the hearts of your people and help me, your servant, keep me from error. Oh Lord, we love you and we are so thankful to you. So Lord, be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. A story is told about a man who was the lone survivor of a shipwreck. He was able to make a raft from some of the ship's cargo and he managed to drift along in the sea until he came to a deserted island. And then there on that island, he used those materials from that raft to construct a sort of makeshift shelter. And there he lived and he was able to feed himself from some food that he had salvaged from the ship and from what he was able to forage and from what he was able to fish. Day after day after day, he waited for a passing ship, hoping beyond hope that he would be spotted and rescued. Finally, one day, he saw a ship, and he did what anyone would do at this moment. He lit what is called a signal fire, a small fire near the edge of the water. To his dismay, though, the ship kept going. It didn't see it. And it quickly faded from sight. He was full of despair. And so he turned around and what did he see? He saw that because of the great winds that were blowing in off the water, the fire had spread. It had spread to his shelter. And now he looked. It had caught the thatch roof that he had made on fire. And he stood there in absolute despair as his shelter burned to the ground. Can you imagine how he felt? That's it. All is lost. That's it. How can my life go on now? But then he noticed something. He looked and he saw that the ship had turned around. And the ship was now coming right toward him. The crew saw him and came back. They rescued him. And once he got on board, he went straight to the captain. He needed to give the captain a hug, right, to express his thanks. And he said, sir, what caused you to turn around after you had already gone by? We saw the smoke you made by sitting your shelter on fire. Great job. That was a really smart thing to do. You know what the man's reply was? I know. I meant to do that. I meant to do that. Life can be a lot like being on that desert island. Though life is wonderful and new life in Christ is even better. Life is nevertheless full of all kinds of ups and downs, all kinds of trials and all kinds of troubles. And sometimes those trials and troubles drive us like that marooned man. They drive us to despair and hopelessness. They might even drive us to become bitter and perhaps even resent God. On the other hand, when we're delivered from various trials and troubles or when blessing after blessing just seems to flow over us like floods, what happens? We tend to forget 
God's work on our behalf. And we allow feelings of entitlement and feelings of self-sufficiency to rise up within us. Just like that marooned man, we're all too quick to take credit for any good thing that comes our way. And so life becomes sort of like a pendulum, swinging us from one side to the other, trials and troubles, deliverance and blessing, and so on and so forth. Back and forth we swing. And no matter where we are in the process or how fast we're swinging, we're all prone to forget that God is the one who is moving us along through both, through both, using both to make us more dependent upon him and both to make us more joyful in all that he is for us in Christ Jesus. That's why as we come to the final hours of 2023, I've brought us to Psalm 107. Psalm 107 is a trusty guide for both sides of that pendulum. Psalm 107 is both an antidote for despair and it's a a vaccine against self-sufficiency. For wrapped up in these 43 verses is a call. It's a call for all God's people to not only remember all that he has done for us, even in great trial. It's a call to allow such remembrance to fuel a great fire, to fuel great and eager anticipation of all that he will do for us each day hereafter. So we're going to explore our psalm this morning pretty simply. Uh, For those of you who like outlines, we'll do it in two parts. And so the first part, our first point this morning, will be the structure of the psalm. Again, if you're taking notes, we'll look first at the structure of this psalm. You probably caught on right away that the psalm begins with a call to worship there in verses 1 through 3. You come to the chapel for any amount of time, you know that we've even used uh, those verses as a call to worship. And it's a, a call to worship God in thanksgiving. To give thanks to Yahweh, right? To give thanks to the covenant Lord. Notice it's all caps there in L-O-R-D. That's speaking of the covenant Lord of his people. Why? Because he's good. The psalmist says he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. Now most of you, if you're using the ESV, perhaps other English translations, you'll recognize those words, steadfast love. You've seen this over and over again in the Psalms. But what you may not know is in the original language, those two words are translating one word. Okay, so this psalm was originally written in Hebrew, and the word that was used there is chesed, chesed, H-E-S-E-D, you could transliterate it that way, and it speaks to God's love for his people and God's faithfulness to his people because, because of the covenant that he's established with them. So the point is, is that God cannot, nor will not, forsake that covenant. God can't and he won't forsake his covenant. He's pledged himself to his people to be their God. And he will steadfastly love them 
and he will fulfill all, every single one of his covenant promises. So the psalmist calls the people, calls you and me, to give thanks to God based on who he is. He's good and he's faithful. And he calls the people who have been redeemed by God, those whom God has gathered in, as verse 3 says, from every corner of the globe. It's believed that this psalm was written after the return of the people from Babylon. This is as they've returned back to the land. That's why they're coming from all corners. And we know the fulfillment of that today is that even we are called into this covenant promise of God. And what does he do? He calls them to testify. Look again at verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let them shout. Let them sing, he says. Perhaps we've already done that today. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord, unto me. He's saying, remember. Remember God's faithfulness and come together and give thanks to him following that call and verses 4 through 32 you probably picked up on this as I read it if you weren't familiar there's four stanzas in 4 through 32 uh, stanzas like a, a, a part of a song each stanza begins with the word some you can see it there in verse 4 verse 10 verse 17 in verse 23, some. And each of these stanzas speak of four different types of people whom God has redeemed. Four types of people God has redeemed. First, in verses 4 through 9, there are the wanderers. Those who were wondering, perhaps a look back to the people of Israel as they wandered in the wilderness. But in general, it's a picture of anyone, of people who are in deep despair. People who are lost, people who are hungry, people who are thirsty, people who are ready to give up physically, but also spiritually. Those who are in despair. Yet in their despair, look at verse 6. This is one of the repeated phrases. They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he ignored them. That's not what it says. He delivered them. From their distress. How did God do this? Verse 7. He led them by a straight way. Till they reached a city to dwell in. The picture here is God is a good shepherd. And he brings them into safe pasture. And then the stanza closes in verse 8. With another call. To thank the Lord for his steadfast love. For his wondrous works. To the children of man. Why? Verse 9. He satisfies. He satisfies the longing soul and the hungry. He fills with good things. The second stanza comes in verses 10 through 16. We've seen the wanderers. Now we see the prisoners. It's a picture of those who are in misery. Those whose lives bear the hard fruits of rebelling, it says. Rebelling against God's word. Those who find themselves afflicted by God under physical hardship. But finally unable to endure the mighty hand of God upon them. 
They do what? Verse 13. Just like verse 6. They cried to the Lord in their troubles and he ignored them. No. He delivered them from their distress. Just as he had done the people of Israel who were in Egypt groaning. And God heard them and delivered them. How? Look at verse 14. He brought them out. And he burst their bonds apart. God broke their shackles. He brought them out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So just as in verse 8 before, verses 15 and 16 end this stanza with that repeated call. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And then the third stanza comes in 17 through 22. Here we find the fools. Here we find the fools, a picture of those whose sinful ways have caused them to be spiritually sick. They are like those who neglect God's means of grace to the point where they become emaciated and frail. They're as spiritually weak, the psalmist paints the picture for us, as a person who lies on death's doorstep. You can see a picture here of the people of Israel before the northern tribes were sent off to Assyria and then Judah being sent off to Babylon. But also we can see it all around us too, perhaps even in our own lives. But notice that even in their sin and weakness, verse 19, just like verses 6 and 13, they what? They cried to the Lord and he delivered them. Why? Why? Because of his covenant faithfulness. How? Look at verse 20. God sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. God nourished them back to life with his word. And so just as we've seen before, the stanza ends in 21 and 22 with that familiar call, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. For it is wondrous works to the children of men. And then the fourth and final stanza comes in 23 through 32. And here we find, we'll just call them the overwhelmed. These are the overwhelmed. It's a picture for us of those who feel, and these were, he paints the picture of literal people, but it's also for anyone who feels like a ship that's being tossed to and fro by the waves, by the storms of life. And you'll notice the language used here. They, they understood that it was God who brought this storm, right? Uh, you may understand that God is in charge of the waves. The picture here is of people who feel like a, a fighter, right? A boxer who's, who's reeling and staggering in the ring at the end of a long fight, just trying to stay upright, that maybe you can get a win when it goes to the cards, that if you had to take one more blow, it would be it. You would be finished. That's the picture for us. I like how verse 27 says it in the ESV. When they came to their wits end. I don't hear that phrase very much. I probably use it more than I realize. But I think we all know what that means, right? I've come to the end of my rope. I can't take it anymore. This, this is it. I'm at my wits end. When they come there. It's just like 6, 13, and 19. What happens in verse 28? They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. How? 29 and 30 say that God calmed the water. 
And he gladdened their hearts and he guided them safely to shore. You know how it ends. You've got it in front of you. I've said it enough times, but there it is. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. Verse 31. For his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. So it's pretty clear up to this point. There's four stanzas. You have the wanderers, the prisoners, the fools, and the overwhelmed. Can you relate to any of those? Some you may not want to admit, but can you relate to any of them? Guess what? The psalmist isn't done yet. He's inspired by God. He knows that there's going to be those who feel as if they don't fit into any of those categories. So he continues in verses 33 through 42 with a sort of reflection, a very poetic reflection for those who know the steadfast love of God. And for sake of time, I'm going to summarize this reflection this way, okay? Wherever you find yourself today, living in plenty or languishing in want, wherever you find yourself putting your hope whether it be in the fruitfulness of yesterday, a contentment of today, or the possibilities of tomorrow, or guess what? Some combination thereof. And wherever you place your confidence, whether it be in your own self-sufficiency, or if you place it in the providential hand of God, the psalmist reminds us and wants us to know this. All things are rooted in God's sovereignty. All things are flow from his grace toward us. And all things are meant to keep us humble and to keep us dependent upon him. So he closes with that one final call in verse 43. Look there with me again, the very last verse. Whoever is wise, let him attend. Let him think about, ponder upon, meditate these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. That's the structure of Psalm 107. That's how it's put together. It would make a great song. And it is, because it's a song. So we'll have to remember to sing that next year. But I think the point of preaching is not to teach you about the structure of a song. It's to apply this psalm. Allow the Spirit to work in your hearts and in your lives. The question is, How does this psalm lead us to remember God's faithfulness and look forward to the future with great expectation? And so, come to our second and final point. Really creative here, the application. of the structure, now we have the application. I think we begin to apply this psalm when we begin where the psalmist did. We begin with the command to give thanks, to be thankful. Right? And that, that thankfulness must begin with thankfulness to God for redemption, for redeeming us from our sin. We have a, a greater view living on this side of the cross, exactly what God has done to redeem us. Right? He did what we were completely unable to do on our own. As Paul says in Romans 8, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. 
And so by Jesus' atoning sacrifice, his death on the cross, we've been purchased by his blood for all eternity. We've been bought back. We've been redeemed. He's indeed done, as we sang earlier, a great thing in Christ. We're redeemed and restored and forgiven for eternity. The steadfast love of the Lord. His covenant love toward us. Yes, even his new covenant love toward us in Jesus. It knows no limits. And it will never be taken from us. If you're a follower of Jesus, certainly you can be thankful for that. If you can't, wake up. Wake up. You're a new creation in Christ. That is enough for which to be thankful. But perhaps you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus. Then may today be a day of salvation for you. I pray that God would grant you a new heart and that you would put your faith and trust in Jesus. Repent of your sins and believe in him. And this day you indeed will be saved. I'm also aware that today is New Year's Eve and that Thanksgiving was a month ago, but I would argue that not only is every day a day to give thanks, but I think today it's especially so. That's why I picked this psalm for today. The psalmist has called us to give thanks to God for his wondrous works to the children of man. So what wondrous works has the Lord done for you? Maybe I should ask it a different way. What wondrous works has the Lord ever done for you? What has the Lord done? Try not to get emotional because this has individual and kind of corporate and familial application to it. I mean, think about our brother's testimony just earlier. Think about it. It's amazing what God has done. In Danny's life. All glory be to God for what he's done. And God's work did not come without much personal suffering and, and trial in Danny's life. But the work's not limited to only him. It's impacted Julie. And it's impacted his kids. It's impacted even our whole church. When our brother suffered, his family suffered. Even his church family suffered with him. And when our brother rejoices, his whole family rejoices. And then we, as his extended family, rejoice with him. So let's broaden our perspective. And I'll ask you again, what wondrous works has the Lord done for you? When I consider all that God has done in my life in the last year, I'm just amazed. The list goes on and on and on and even more, when I think about all that God has done among us as a church body, I'm just as amazed. So I think it'll be good for you today or even in the week to come to start a list of such wondrous things. In fact, I challenge you to do that. I challenge you to start a list of all the wondrous things that God has done for you. It doesn't just have to be this year. Go back as long as you want. I promise you there is no fruitlessness in thinking about gratitude. What has God done 
to lead you to give thanks. Maybe we can ask it this way. How have you cried to the Lord and seen him answer? And this is where it gets sticky. But Pastor Dan. Hey, Pastor. Some of you might say that. I've been crying out to the Lord. I'm not sure he hears me. I'm losing my voice. I'm tired. How in the world can I be thankful for that? I can only imagine how you feel, how you hurt. And what I can tell you is that this psalm is for you too. Whether you're a wanderer, a prisoner, a fool, one who's overwhelmed, or somewhere in between all that, Psalm 107, I believe, gives you blessed assurance in two very distinct ways. First, you can write this down. God does indeed hear the cries of his people. God hears you. Whether he answers in the time or the way that you wish him to, he hears you. His covenant faithfulness ensures that he hears you. And the best part is, is he doesn't say, stop crying out to me. I'm tired of hearing you. No. He wants you to cry out to him. And second, no matter where we find ourselves as we wait, we are also assured from this psalm, from the whole of Scripture, that whatever we are facing, God is in absolute control of absolutely everything. Even when we have nothing left to cling to here, even when we are at our wit's end, finally at our final wit's end, those who belong to God can know that he is holding fast to them. Even when you lose your grip, he doesn't lose his. He will never, ever, ever let you go. So even if the words can't come out of your mouth, keep crying to him. Lastly, I believe that Psalm 107 gives us great hope as we look to the future. I tend to agree with pastor and author Jared Wilson, who once kind of snarkily but wisely said that, quote, resolutions are for people who weren't awesome last year. But I do believe that this passage gives us reason to have at least one. And so I'll state it this way. Because the Lord is good, and because his steadfast love endures forever, I can expect that he will continue his wondrous works among us. Right? So because he's good, because his steadfast love, his covenant love endures forever, I can, I can expect that he will continue to do wondrous works among us. I mean, the last time I checked, Jesus hasn't returned yet. And we still have kingdom work to accomplish right here and right now, don't we? In our homes, in our communities, in our church. And though we may not know what tomorrow holds, do we know who holds tomorrow? Yes, we do. So we need to have great confidence I believe we should have eager expectation. Look forward to what God is going to do this year and, and in the years to come. God's with us and he's for us. Just imagine what God will do in you and in us. Imagine what he will do for you and what he will do for us. Imagine what he will do through you and through us. 
Imagine what he will do for his glory and for our good. I hope that as you remember his wondrous works and as you give thanks to him for them, I pray that 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 remembrance, that hope, right, will be set ablaze into a greater fire that just burns and we become, get this, optimistic people. I speak as a realist. Megan's in the nursery. She would say pessimist. But we can be optimistic, not foolishly, not hopelessly, but grounded in the goodness of God and his steadfast love for us. As I seek to land the plane here for my part, in particular, as I think about our church, I'm really hopeful for what tomorrow will bring. Not just January 1st, but every day after. I've had time this week to take stock of all that we've been able to witness. And it's great, and it's wonderful. I wrote to you about it a couple weeks ago. But I'm really excited to think about what we might be celebrating this time next year. How many celebrations are there going to be? How many new believers will we be rejoicing with? How many new babies will there be? How many new marriages? How many new families will call the Granville Chapel their home? Here's one. Will God provide us an associate pastor? Or here's another big one. Will God provide us our own church building? What new ministries and new leaders will rise up among us? How will we grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ? How will we share our lives in the gospel in impactful ways, both in our homes and in our communities, and even to the very ends of the earth? Friends, I expect God to do great and wondrous things. I hope you do too. But let's just resolve this as well. That when he does, just as we do today, let's not take any credit for ourselves. Let us not boast in ourselves. There has been, there is even now, and it will always be the Lord's doing, period. As we're reminded in Romans 11, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. And to that, I'll add what the psalmist told us at the beginning. Let the redeemed say so. Amen and amen. Would you grab your bulletin?